As we begin this morning, I want to ask you just to think back over the past 48 hours. So just go back to Friday around noon, hour before lunch or whatever, and just kind of recall, the, just take a quick inventory of the past 48 hours. Anything surprising? Anything challenging or hard? Has anything happened that has tested your faith? Has anything shaken you? Now think of Peter and John in the past 48 hours that they have experienced in Acts chapter 3 and 4. We've spent several weeks in these two chapters, but these events took place over two days. And so review quickly with me what has happened over these past two days for Peter and John. What they experienced began with a prayer service. They were going to the temple at the, for the three in the afternoon prayer service. And when they got there, they saw a man who had been crippled from, their, from his birth asking for money. But instead of giving him money, they told him to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. That miracle was quickly followed by a message in which thousands of people were being converted. That was exciting time. People were coming to faith. And yet as fast as that mountaintop high had come, Peter and John were suddenly seized by the temple police. They were thrown into prison and these disciples spent the night in jail. The morning dawn brought a new round of trouble. The Sanhedrin, the same people who presided over the trial of Christ and his execution just a few months prior to this, were now presiding over their trial. Inter interrogated and uh, questioned, they had to make a public defense. And when the Sanhedrin could not decide what to do, Peter and John were threatened and warned that if they continued to preach in the name of Jesus, worse things would follow. And so the question that we were, we were left with last week was, what would these disciples do? How would they stand? How would they fare? Let's go back to our past 48 hours. And what if we turned the hands of time back, not from 48 hours to the past 48 days, and we asked ourselves the same question? Anything surprising? Anything challenging or hard? Has anything tested your faith? Has anything shaken you? And what if we went back even farther from 48 days to 48 months? I think it's safe to say that we too have been assaulted and assailed. Maybe not like Peter and John uh, having been assaulted and arrested for their commitment to Jesus Christ. But we too have been assaulted and we too have been assailed. It is, is, it is as if though life, it is as though life has piled on. And the question that we find ourselves asking of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, how would they fare, how would they stand, we must ask for ourselves. For I would imagine that many of us here today would have the testimony similar to the Apostle Paul, fighting without fear within. What we need to see, what I want us to see here this morning is that what happens in our lives, whether it be persecution for following Christ or the trials of life, these things that, we, that may appear to be random are neither haphazard nor uh, without effect. 
The Bible tells us that we have an enemy and he has a strategy and his strategy is simply this, to neutralize, marginalize, demoralize and ultimately silence the people of God. You think about those words, to, to neutralize, to, to reduce the effect of our lives so that our lives have no effect for the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 3 warns us about being lukewarm, that hot water, cold water are both useful, but lukewarm is nothing but tepid, it's, it's nothing but to, be, but, but to be spit out, and how, how the enemy works to neutralize the effect of God's people through trials and the troubles of life so that we might be lukewarm, to marginalize, to, to put on the sideline, to take out of the game, to, to have no real purpose or plan, to demoralize, to so discourage and to defeat that there's no hope, there's no vibrancy, that there's no message. And the end goal is to silence the witness of God's people, not just our voice, not just what we say, but the force of our lives, the force of this church. That instead of being committed as the people of God to doing what is good, we end up doing little to nothing. And rather than advancing, we opt to survive. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Christ left these words uh, with the church. Left, the church. left these words to the church. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will be my witnesses, uh, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And what I want us to see this morning is that the circumstances of life are being designed by the enemy, being used by the enemy to neutralize, demoralize, marginalize, silence us as both individual believers in Christ and as the body of Christ from fulfilling this command that he has left us to do. Peter and John have been warned They've been threatened. They've been instructed to be silent about Christ. And so how would they respond? Let's read our text. If you have a copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Let's read down through verse 31, and then we'll begin to take a look at what this passage has to say to us in our lives here today. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23. On their release, their release from the Sanhedrin, Peter and John went back to their own people. And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, that is this collective body, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And notice what they said. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and, and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And here's the request, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and... Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the holy name of your servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where meeting, they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and 
spoke the word of God boldly. Spoke the word of God boldly. He said, what is this passage teaching us this? The thought that I want to leave us is this, is that if we're going to advance through adversity, if we're, when we find ourselves being assaulted and assailed, how do we move forward? Four requirements that we can pull out of this passage that help us move forward. Number one, bold community. Bold community. Verse 23 says that when Peter and John were released, they went back to their own people. Literally, they went back to their own kind. This has nothing to do with race, and it has everything to do with affinity. They went back to the people of God. They went back to the people of faith. We, we know from Acts chapter 2, verse 41, if we just kind of pull back the pages of Scripture a little bit, on the day of Pentecost, after Peter preached, there were 3,000 people, men and women, people of all ages, who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, after Peter had preached regarding this miracle that took place in the temple, the Bible tells us that that number of 3,000 had swelled to 5,000 men, males, who had believed. Right, So there may have been as many as ten to 20,000 people in this young church that was beginning to form there in Jerusalem. And so the Bible tells us that Peter and John went back, went back to their own people, probably not to that 20,000, 10 to 20,000 group of people, but they were, having been released from prison, they went back to a smaller group within that larger group of believers there in Jerusalem. And I think the point of Scripture is this, is that when we, in order to advance through adversity, we need a bold community of brothers and sisters in Christ. When we find ourselves being assaulted and assailed, where do we go? To the body of Christ. We go to our brothers and sisters. The Christian life has never been designed, was never designed or never intended to be lived in isolation or a, to have a marginal connection with our brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning service. That's not what Christ intended for you and I as his followers. He's calling us into a deep-rooted sense of community and commitment within the body of Christ. I like what Eugene Peterson wrote. Eugene Peterson is the one who paraphrased the scripture into what we call the message. He passed away last October. He's home in heaven now. In one of his books, Eugene wrote these words, we can, no be, we can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It is part of the fabric of redemption. That when Christ saves us, he brings us into community. And so I want to make an appeal to you, brothers and sisters, here at Fellowship. My appeal, my call to you is this, is that we would renew our commitment to one another and our commitment to the work and ministry of this local body. Fellowship is part of the larger body of Christ. But it is through this body that we 
find the support that is needed, that we draw the strength that we need when we find ourselves being assaulted and assailed. And it is through this body that we can work together to be the witness of Christ in this community. And so I'm asking you that we renew our commitment. One of the vehicles that we have in place to to foster and develop this kind of community, this bold community among the believers of God is through our Bible fellowship ministry that meets on Sunday morning. That's the vehicle that we have right now. Now listen, I understand that maybe the vehicle that we currently have is outdated and maybe needs a major rebuild. Let's be open to that as the body of Christ. And let's ask ourselves the question, what kind of change is God calling us to make so that this bold community can form? And whatever those changes might be that God is leading us to make, let's renew our commitment and say that we're here in the long, for the long haul and that we'll be part of one another's lives here at Fellowship. I believe there's changes that we need to make. I intend to lead us in that. But I'm asking us to make this commitment to a bold community that we would be marked by going to our kind. That we would serve and minister to one another as we live our faith out in this world at this time. Number two, advancing through adversity requires not only bold, uh, bold faith, it uh, requires uh, not only a bold community, but it requires a bold faith. And really, number two and number three go together. Uh, bold faith and number three, bold praying. Prayer grows out of bold faith. But what I want us to see here in verse 24 is what the church did, right? So Peter and John are released. They, they go back to their own kind, to their own people. Verse 24, and they reported what happened. And when the church heard what had happened, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, a lot of people have tried to define prayer, but I think maybe one of the best ways to describe prayer is to use what the Bible says the church did. They lifted their voices together to God. You say, what is prayer? Prayer is lifting up our voices to God. We could probably put on the end of that together. Prayer is lifting up our voices to God together. Right? That's what the church did. That's how the church responded to their circumstances, their situation. They lifted their voices up to God in prayer. But notice how they prayed. Before they asked for anything, they affirmed. Before they made a request for help, they strengthened themselves in prayer. Right? I'm reminded of an incident from the life of King David. Uh, before David was... Um, uh, before David actually ruled as king, he had already had been, before David was crowned as king, he had already been anointed as king, right? But during this period of waiting to be crowned king, King Saul, the one who was crowned, sought to kill the king who was waiting, King David, right? And so during this several decade period of time in which King Saul is trying to kill King David, David lived on the run as a fugitive, and as he lived, more and more people began to follow him. One time, David and his men were out fighting. 
the Amalekites came up behind them, destroyed the town where they were staying, carried off all their wives and their children. And when the men returned from the battlefield, they saw the smoke rising and their women and children gone. And the men were so angry at David, they wanted to kill him. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord. I think that is instructive for us. When we find ourselves in the throes of adversity, when we're being assaulted and assailed, when we have fighting within or fighting without fears within, we must strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I said, how do we do that? We affirm our faith. Notice what the church did. They nailed down their faith. They had a bold faith. You say, what does a bold faith look like? Four cores, four parts to the core of a bold faith. Number one, God's sovereignty. They began, they, they lift up their voices in prayer, and notice what they said. They said, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. The word here for Sovereign Lord is despot. We hear that word, and we might immediately think, well, that speaks of an evil tyrant, a brutal dictator. Like we might say, Kim Jong-un is, uh, is a despot. And that would be true from what we know of North Korea. But in New Testament times, that word despot referred to someone who had absolute rule and authority. Their rule, their reign was unquestioned. Revelation chapter 6, we have this picture in heaven where there's a, a gathering of the martyred saints, those who have been martyred for their faith. They're before the throne of God and they're crying out to the throne and they're saying, how long, Lord, how long until you will avenge our blood? And the voice from the throne, oh, they said, uh, get back to the point here. Sovereign Lord, I forgot that point, right? How long, sovereign Lord? How long, despot? The one who rules and reigns, how long will you avenge our blood? And the voice from the throne comes back and says, a little while longer until their full number is complete. The sovereign Lord knows what's going on. The sovereign Lord is still sovereign even though his people are suffering horribly and many are giving their lives. He's still the sovereign Lord. The church found strength. They took comfort in the fact that God is sovereign over all that was taking place in Jerusalem. You and I today who find ourselves living in this fallen world must take heart, take comfort in knowing that Christ is sovereign over all, including the place and the problems that we find in our lives today. Strengthen yourselves, brothers and sisters, in the sovereignty of God. He rules over all and nothing that comes into your life has not come into your life apart from either his plan or his permission. Take comfort in his sovereignty. Number two, God's power. Uh, they, they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. It here speaks of God's uh, creative power. They, they affirmed, they believed that, that God was the creator over everything. This morning in the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed begins with, I believe in what? In God, uh, the Father, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
sovereign Lord, God is over all. As creator, God is the maker, sustainer of all. You say, well, we believe in Genesis 1 and 2. We believe that God is the creator. How does that help me when I'm in the midst of the throes of adversity, when I'm being assaulted and assailed? What difference does that make? Here's the truth. If God is able to bring everything into being, God is able to keep us from perishing. If God is the maker of everything, he is able to keep us from perishing. If God is the maker of everything, he is able to see us through this trial, this storm, this trouble. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Peter, who, <clears throat> Peter and John, who were part of this, this problem here in Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter writes to the church that is suffering. In verse chapter 4, verse 19, Peter says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The Bible says, look, in the middle of your suffering, turn to your faithful creator, the one who has made all, the one who has sustains all. And as you turn to him, as you trust him, continue to do good. Don't give in to despair. Don't resort to retaliation. God is your faithful creator. Commit your life, your circumstances, those you love, into his hands. The core of a bold faith. God is sovereign and God is creator and God has spoken. Uh, beginning in verse 25, he said, you spoke through your Holy Spirit uh, through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And, and then there's the quotation there from Psalm chapter 1 and 2. And Psalm chapter 2 is known as is what is known as a messianic psalm, a psalm that uh, found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And during the reign of David, there were those who sought his demise. David was the Lord's anointed one. In that period. But the fulfillment pointed to the coming of Christ. And in Christ, the nations raged and the people plotted and the rulers planned to destroy him. And yet they could not because of the resurrection. And what I want you to see here is what Jesus said in John chapter 15, and so if you have a copy of God's word, hold your place in Acts chapter 4 and go back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Jesus here with his disciples on the night of his arrest here and in a few hours, he's going to be crucified, and then later on in the morning, he'll be crucified. It, Jesus said to his disciples on that night, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If, you, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
David was hated. Christ was hated and put to death. You and I who believe in the resurrected Christ will not be exempt. Assaulted and assailed, fighting without fear within, and yet we're not alone. We've not been abandoned. Evil will not triumph. God has spoken, right? You go on in Psalm chapter 2, this one who has been, people have been raging against as he sits in the thrones and he laughs. Brothers and sisters, strengthen yourselves in what God has said. My prayer for us is that this book, this book would become so precious to us. This book, this word, the word of God would become so, it would become more precious to us than silver and gold. And the core of a strong faith, Acts chapter 4, is a, a commitment to God's providence. God's providence that we find here in this verse, speaking of God's predestinating his acts. We, we strengthen ourselves in, in what God uh, has predestined, that, that what will take place will surely take place. Right? In, in verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, the people of Israel in this city, conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They're saying this is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand. They did what your hand and your will had predestined should happen. We need to hold on to this in the midst of our suffering. Verses 27 and 28, we're reminded that Christ's suffering were predestined. They were planned by God from before the foundation of the earth. These things, there are things rather inscrutable things about the ways of God that I do not understand. But in this, the Bible has spoken, and in this we stand. Before time began, God predestined his son to suffer and to die for the salvation of mankind. And so Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32 is that life verse that we have to adopt and we have to work into the very core of our being. If God did not spare his own son, Acts chapter 4. If God did not withhold his own son, how will God not also along with him graciously give us all things, all, uh, all good things, right? This is the, the birthright of those who have believed and confessed in Jesus Christ. It was during the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther was met by an envoy from the Pope, and he was threatened that if he continued to persist in his preaching, against the church that all who supported him would desert him. And then the envoy queried Martin Luther, where will you then be? Listen to Martin Luther's reply. Then, as now, in the hands of God. Then, as now, in the hands of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, how we must strengthen ourselves in the Lord. He is sovereign in life. He is sovereign in death. He is creator, the maker, sustainer of all things. He is our faithful creator. He has spoken. He has predestined his son to be savior. In Christ, we have all things. So strengthen yourself in him. Number three, bold prayer. So there's bold community, bold faith. Number three, bold prayer, verses 29 30. Verse 29, we get to the request. They ask the Lord two things in verse 29. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Consider their threats. That is, see, see their threats. Take note. Pay, mark, pay attention. Mark what they're doing. Oh, so reminiscent of Hezekiah's prayer in Isaiah chapter 37 that we looked at earlier. Notice what the church didn't do. They didn't take matters into their own hand, into their own hands. They turned that back to the Lord. Consider their threats and enable your servants. That is, endow, grant, cause to happen, bring about this boldness to your servants so that they might speak your word boldly. Verse 30 unfortunate in the NIV. It reads as if there's a third entreaty, a third request. Stretch out your hand. Really, it's a marker of time. It would be better translated, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. What they were saying is this. While you work boldly, powerfully, doing what only you can do, work powerfully in us, your servants. While you're working, work in us. Do what only you can do and enable us to give what only you can give. And notice here the pattern that we begin to see emerge from the church. When the church faced persecution, she prayed. When she faced a decision, she prayed. When she, was, she embarked in sending others out, she prayed. And so we need to remember here this morning that whether it be persecution or problems, Satan's goal is always to silence, marginalize, demoralize, neutralize God's people. And the way that we overcome is through prayer. Number four. Finally, we advance not only through bold community and uh, bold faith and bold prayer, but we, bold, we advance through bold proclamation. Look at verse 31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. The power of God's presence and the building was shaken. The Bible says, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember what we discovered earlier in the book of Acts when we talked about the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is that God's enabling power so that we might serve Him. God's enabling power so that we might minister to others. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they all went out boldly proclaiming the gospel. They were not silent. They did not retreat. They advanced. They all spoke the word of God boldly. And I believe what's missing in the church today is this bold proclamation. Brothers and sisters, listen. If we do not advance with the gospel... It will look, it will appear as though the gates of hell are barred shut and the gates of hell are winning, not the church advancing. It is only through the bold proclamation that the gospel, the church of God, advances. R.C. Sproul is a renowned Bible teacher if he were still alive today, he would be my father's age, so 80, right? About a year and a half ago, he went to heaven. But R.C. relates a story in his commentary from his days in seminary. Billy Graham was bursting on the scene. And it was announced that Billy Graham would appear 
on the late night show with Jack Parr. Anybody know Jack Parr? That's all the old people. <laughs> Sorry. Right. And uh, so R.C. Sproul remembers that he and his fellow seminarians, they would gather in the, in the lounge there around the one television. And they were, they were glued there. How would Billy Graham respond to Jack Parr? And so as the program opened, Jack Parr in his unflappable style of comedy, he just said, Billy Graham, I guess you're here tonight to save my soul and you're going to try to straighten out my life. You're probably going to try to get me to repent. That's how he began the show. And Billy Graham smiled, R.C. Sproul said, and he said, Well, Jack, have you thought about repenting? You know you need to. And yes, I am concerned about your soul. For without Christ, you will perish. Never took the bait, but he came with the message. Wasn't loud, he wasn't abrasive, he wasn't over the top, he wasn't in his face. Without Jesus, you, all of us, will perish. You know, if the building, I look at this verse here and I think, man, if that building would shake today, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Have all kinds of cracks forming in the walls. But what if? Instead of the building being shaken here this morning, that you and I, the people of God, we would ask him today to fill us with his spirit. And what if, filled with his spirit, we went from this place boldly proclaiming the word of God? I don't think it would be Fellowship Baptist Church building being shaken, but I think it would be the city of Saginaw, the city of Fort Worth and beyond being shaken. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. Oh, how we need holy boldness. I want to end this morning with a story and then a prayer. All right, you guys good? You know, I love history. Let me tell you a story a little bit about another reformer, William Tyndall. Right? William Tyndall, uh, born in 15, or 15, born in 1494, right? Born in England. And, uh, and so uh, he grew up at... 1506 to 1516, he studied at Oxford. So was he 20 years old? Uh, around 20. When he's graduated with a master's degree, he goes on to study at the University of Cambridge for three more years. During this time, while he's at Cambridge, is when the Reformation fires start burning in Germany. And they start sweeping through Europe. And so 1521, uh, Tyndall steps away from his teaching post at Cambridge and he says, I need to pay more attention to what's going on in this Reformation. And he becomes convinced of what is happening there. He becomes appalled by what he sees. He said that not even the priests could recite the Lord's Prayer, let alone in Latin and certainly not in English. There was a spiritual darkness that had covered the land of England. And so he made his commitment to say, I'm going to get the English Bible into the hands of people. He was so convinced of this in 1522 when he heard a, a priest debate and says, we must be without the law of God and never be without the law of the Pope. 
in that the words of the Pope were great, had greater weight and greater authority than the scriptures. And so he set himself from that day forward to get the English Bible into the hands of the people. He codified the English language. He, he would translate the scriptures from the Greek and the Hebrew text, and he would write an English dictionary. He wrote the first English dictionary, William Tyndale, so that the people could learn the word of God. He said the people, the people of England will never be evangelized apart from the word of God. And so he made that commitment. And so in order to do this, he was branded a heretic. The king of England had put a bounty on him. And so uh, William Tyndall had to flee the country that he lived in, right? Lived as a fugitive, spent his time in Germany, printing, translating, printing the Bibles, sending the Bibles back to England, getting the word of God into the hands of people. Through a series of betrayals, 1534, he was arrested, brought back to England, October the 6th, 1536. He came down the steps of the palace and he was hung with an iron chain to a cross and died. His last words were a prayer. Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. They were so... The, the church and the king were so enraged against William Tyndall that they took his body off the cross, that strangled body. They attached him to a stake and set the fire around uh, his body, but they loaded it up with gunpowder so that when the fire was lit, his body was blown to shreds so there would be no evidence of William Tyndall ever having lived. And yet, two years after his death, the king who had ordered his execution signed the decree that in the Church of England, there should be a copy of God's word in both English and Latin. And some 80 years later, King James um, printed, ordered the printing of what we know as the what? King James Bible, which has served as the basis for all English translations since then. Why do I share that story? Here was a man who was committed to making sure that the word of God would get into the hands of people. And he paid with his life so that we might have a copy of this word in our language. And here's the, the convicting part. How many of us take the Bible home after church on Sunday and we set it up not to pick it up again until next Sunday? What a treasure this is. Men and women who made it possible so you and I could have the word of God and we do nothing with it. And not... Not only are we to, to be men and women who study this book and who devour this book and who live on this book, but you and I, not only are we not only to carry this book with us and to treasure this book, but you and I are to be bold proclaimers of this book. For it is in this book, it is through this book that the gospel is heard. It is through this book that the answer for the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of man's life are found. 
What if you and I here today prayed and said, Lord, enable your servants, that's all of us who know the name of Christ, to speak your word authority, speak your word boldly. What if that were our prayer this morning, this day? Let's bow our heads. Will you pray with me? Will you ask the Lord that right now? Holy Father, you have given to us your word. You have spoken. You have recorded for us in the book of Acts what the, the church did and how you worked through them and how you not only you came and you shook that place, but it wasn't just the place that you shook, you filled those people with your spirit and they spoke your word boldly. I ask, Father, today for Fellowship Baptist Church that you would fill us with your spirit. Father, those areas of sin that we're holding on, help us to confess that. Those areas in our lives where we refuse to surrender to you, help us to surrender to you today. Help us to submit to you. Father, forgive us for this treasure that we hold in our, in our hands called the Bible. How many of us have multiple copies and yet we do nothing with it? Forgive us for that abuse of privilege and responsibility. Fill us with your spirit. Enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. And may this city be shaken by the power of your gospel. We pray and ask this all through the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of response this morning.